I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices on Racism in the UK, the podcast that provides a platform for real people to share their untold stories. In this series, hear about the devastating long-term effects of racism in the UK. Some of these personal stories may be hard to hear, but it's absolutely vital that we air them in order to enact much-needed change. So please, share them with a friend. Let's get into today's episode. Today, we're hearing how childhood betrayal can shape the way you see the world and how it can motivate you to rewrite the story for your own kids. I don't want the next generation to have to go through that because I know what will happen to them. Meet Stuart Casimiri. He's a designer, filmmaker and dad of four. I am 41 years old and I live in Glasgow, Scotland. I am a BAFTA-nominated director. I recently directed Black and Scottish. As a Black director, uh, I like to tell diverse stories. So for many years, listening to Black people speak and, you know, tell me their tales. You go through life and, you know, experience certain things. And having that camera, you realise that, you know, you've got the opportunity to tell stories and, you know, hopefully make a difference. Stuart was born in Kenya and moved to the UK when he was two. The family lived on a quiet street in a suburb of Glasgow. Always reminded me of Brookside. Do you remember Brookside? Brookside. That old Liverpool soap from the 80s. Picture neat circles of boxy, new-build houses. Stuart's mum worked as a computer programmer. There were hardly any black kids at Stuart's school. And for a while, that wasn't an issue. My life was a typical young, young kid. Not young black kid, you know, typically young, young child who, who, innocent, loved sports, absolutely loved sports, played basketball for many years and, and uh, played football. And just a young, happy kid, loving, loving Michael Jackson, loving Michael Jordan and Tupac. But it was nice. It, was, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't until certain things happened that you snap out and you go, oh, hold on a minute. Um, OK, I'm black then, right? That comment there, I'm black. In the school holidays, when Stuart was about eight years old, he would go and stay with his cousins. They lived in Port Glasgow, a small industrial town about 20 miles outside of Glasgow. There's nowhere near the city. It's somewhere where a young black person doesn't want to be. Um, and I hated going over to stay there. I didn't, I didn't like it because I, that was a time when I felt different. You know, I know I, I knew I was black a lot more when in Port Glasgow. But he made the best of it and started to hang out with the other kids in the area. So you start playing sports and you meet, you, you meet some other kids from Port Glasgow, white, white kids, and you become friends through the love of sport. From time to time, there would be racial comments. Kids asking if they could touch Stuart's hair. He pretended it didn't bother him. I would just laugh with them, you know, to jo join in. A lot of things that I did as a young, young kid was to try and fit in. One afternoon, Stuart was playing football in a small park with his new friends. And then these group of kids start coming over roughly the same age. And instantly I knew that this isn't going to go well. I just knew by, you know, the mannerisms. The boys asked if they could join the game. And then almost immediately, they singled Stuart out and started being abusive, making ignorant, racist jokes and slurs. The group of kids started laughing and I was in a spot where I'm just 
sitting there looking like, what what can I do? You know, you're with your group of friends, so you're hoping that there's support, you're praying for it. And I didn't know what I didn't know what to do, and I didn't I didn't have any support. And I'm my friends are behind me, and I look around, and whilst those group of kids are laughing, I look around, and my so-called friends are laughing along with them. So the whole group of boys, let's say ten kids, are all laughing at me. Maybe his so-called friends were racist themselves. Or maybe they were just trying to fit in with the other boys. Stuart didn't know, but he was sure of one thing. I was really angry at the time, really angry. Not even at, at, at the kids that said it, more so at the friends that you that I, I thought I had, because they betrayed me, you know, so I was ridiculously angry. And then I started to feel really upset, really betrayed, really, I just didn't know. I didn't know what was going on because at that age you think, well, I thought they were my, I thought they were my friends. I don't understand. Is that, is that how I'm going to be treated because I'm black? This time he didn't join in the laughter or shrug it off. Stuart turned away from the boys and walked back up the hill to his cousin's house. I remember feeling on the way up thinking, you know, I, I can't trust it. Those kids, but more so I can't trust white people because I thought these kids were my friends and this is how I'm treated. At that time, I, I would say that changed my perception on white people. Primary school was tough for Stuart. He was subjected to more racial comments and ignorance. You're 11 years old, you have this accent, but when as soon as you leave the house, you're in Scotland, as soon as you enter the house, you know, the African culture, the way we eat, the food that we eat, etc. everything, the music we listen to. I had the African upbringing in the UK and I always felt that, always felt that way. It was two different, two different worlds. Things took a turn for the better when Stuart moved to Kenya for high school. It was a fancy boarding school miles from everywhere. At first though, Stuart was petrified to leave everything and everyone he knew in Glasgow. I was crying my heart out, did not want to leave. And remember at that time, there was, you couldn't go on YouTube and see what Africa was like. I remember the first time we went and landing in Africa, just everything was just a totally different experience. And you know, living in Nairobi and then going to high school in this bus for miles upon miles. I remember when my mum left and we went to my dormitory, I remember just lying on the bed, just crying my heart out and just, oh my God, where the hell am I? Where the hell am I? And then one kid came, who's now a very good friend of mine, just peeked his head in and, oh, the, one of the guys, one of the new boys is crying. He ended up being my roommate for, for, for years. Stuart quickly fell in love with the school. All the teachers were white, but the kids came from all over, Asia, America. I just felt that he just breathe and go, oh, this is amazing. Like, I don't need to worry about anyone being racist to me. That's the thing about boarding school, is we were a family and not one bit of racism from any white person. Sadly, that wasn't the case when Stuart, as a young adult, returned to the UK. And again, it happened in the places you wouldn't expect, from people who were supposed to care about him. Stuart started out his career as an artist. Working my way up, photography, graphic design, music, creating CDs and album covers for people. He loved design and became a digital designer, 
working for agencies in both Belfast and Glasgow. Then, he bagged a massive opportunity, heading up a team of designers. Day one, I start as a lead designer and I walk into my team and introduce myself. Most people smiled. They were welcoming, but not everyone. A few of the designers, these were big, burly guys, had a different expression on their faces. Those faces were like smiling, you know, so that everyone around them could see that, yeah, they're happy to see the designer's church of scenery, smiling, but at the same at the same time looking at you as if, who are you and we don't know who you are and what are you, what are you doing here? Judging me. And it's a little look backs. You know, it's a non-verbal communication that's really important to look out for. You start to understand these, their mannerisms. Stuart asked everyone about their jobs to understand their roles. And then you get to these guys and they're like, yeah, no, yes, no answers. Short, sharp answers. Just enough to appear civil in front of the whole team, but not friendly. As time went on, the relationship between these men and Stuart, their new boss, deteriorated. They undermined Stuart, dismissed him, deliberately went against his instructions. There was even one more time where Stuart was putting together an important presentation for a client. Everything was running smoothly. But for some reason you can't find your file. Some reason this file's missing. Some reason something happened with the server. Couldn't find the file, couldn't find only part, only part of it. And I come to the presentation clearly sweating. Stuart had to admit to his boss and the client that his presentation was lost. Across the office, he could see the guys, the burly ones, grinning and flashing him looks. And I know that it was them that got rid of the files or whatever they did. But what then happened was it made me look bad. We had to cancel the client meeting. From then on, the trust wasn't there anymore. And they loved it. They absolutely loved that. Oh, don't trust don't trust Stuart to put together a presentation again. As a boss, you're just trying to deliver. You know, you want to impress, but you can't because some people in your team don't want to listen to you. What was disrespectful and rude at work turned into full-on racial remarks outside the office, like work events at the pub. For Stuart, this insidious behaviour was actually worse than explicit racism. Because outwardly racist, you can see it, you know, someone beside you can see it. You know, it's a little subtle things that people say, it's a little smiles, it's a little looks. That's not me being paranoid when you're used to something for so many years, you get used to it. And even though this happened in a trendy office full of designers, Stuart felt exactly the same way as he did back on that football pitch as a child. I'm seeing a pattern here, and the pattern is me sitting there amongst a group of people and feeling like the black guy, feeling like the only one. I did feel like the eight-year-old boy again, because that eight-year-old boy is sitting there thinking, looking outwardly and smiling and acting like everything's fine, but inside you're going, racing thoughts. I wonder what they're doing, I wonder what they're saying, because the thing is about me, they don't like, will they not like me? Is it because I'm black? That's probably one of the main questions we all ask ourselves because you just don't know, but come to find out that yes, it was, of course it was. These days, Stuart channels his experiences into making documentaries through his production company, Create Anything. I've interviewed many black people over the last couple of years and armed with this knowledge and armed with that experience. So when I'm speaking to them, 
it's made me feel like I don't want the next generation to have to go through that. I have four kids and I don't want them to go through that because I know what will happen to them. I know what's going to happen to them. So if there's anything that I can do to make white people see us differently, if black people can portray themselves and how they want to be seen, then hopefully white people will look at it and see them differently and also get black people to share their stories so it can inspire other others. Stuart's documentary, Black and Scottish, which scored him a BAFTA nomination for director, was inspired by one very special member of The Next Generation. Yasmin's my 11-year-old. She was the main nucleus because she said that she wanted to be white as a young kid when she was was around five or six. And that was the trigger for me to make Black and Scottish because I was like, right, enough. Then there's Yasmin's younger sister, Neve. Neve, years on, who is now five, is a total opposite to the way Yasmin was. She's like, Daddy, I just love to be Black and Scottish. I love it. So a few years later, you've got my five-year-old girl so proud to be black, whereas the other one was didn't want to be. So it means that the younger one, Kaya, who's three, she'll just follow suit. So I've already start, I've already done it. I've already, yeah, I've already done it in a sense where Neve isn't going to be saying things like, I wish I was white, I wish my hair was straight. She wants her hair out and afro. She's like, Daddy, I'm really proud to be black and Scottish. I would love to be a role model for young people out there just to let them know that you can actually achieve your goals through hard work and just never stop and let your let your experiences in life guide you. Stuart's contrasting experiences of being a black person growing up around white people helped to establish the complex picture of racism. Racial identity isn't something that young children are consciously aware of. This means that as a child from a racial minority grows up, they will have to go through the challenge of coming to terms with being different. This realisation will often be imposed upon them through discrimination and abuse. Naturally, this only makes the experience harder. Stuart has gone through the challenges of trying to navigate these difficulties. He's also used his children as an inspiration to make that journey less traumatic for younger generations. His BAFTA-nominated work He's hoping to shine a light on people of colour in order to promote acceptance and understanding. Bearing this in mind, I'm going to leave you with the trailer for Stuart's new documentary, Black and Northern Irish. My name is Stuart Chesimiri. I'm a filmmaker and designer, and I am also black and Scottish. In this film, I want to explore what that means, especially for my family and in particular for my eight-year-old daughter, Yasmin. I hear people saying the same things to me when I tell them I'm from Scotland. If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favourite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week.